Good morning, Arbor Church. Allison, thank you for sharing that. Um, Having known Jesse for a long time, having friends, good friends that are members of that church, um, it's always a heartbreaking, sad day when you've poured your life and energy and calling into something and feel like it's time to step away from that. So my heart goes out to Jesse and his wife and young family, to the families and members of that church, that they would find comfort, find home, and know that they are still called in Jesus to do the work that he put on their hearts to do. So thank you for sharing that with us, Allison, and your heartfelt prayer. I think, as I think on that and reflect on that, it's just another message of how difficult it is to be in full-time ministry. We need to continue to be praying for our staff and our pastors of this church that it is a tension that you're constantly pulled in different directions and trying to just serve God with a heart of, I just want to serve. I just want to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus. And so as a church, we need to remember that the tension and pressure that a lot of our staff and a lot of our pastors work under and continue to lift them up in God and you know, try to operate in grace and mercy. So thank you, Allison, for sharing that with us today. We are in the series of good news. The music on that intro is a little bit somber, and I'm trying to like good news, you know? This is good news. And I was asked to speak on the topic of forgiveness under the umbrella of good news, and I would love to do a series sometimes on forgiveness because it's a passion of mine and there's so many layers to it. But as I went into it this week, I really wanted to think about what is the good news of forgiveness? Rather than talking about who you need to forgive or how to forgive or why to forgive or what that looks like, while some of those will come out today, I really wanted to try to present like this encouraging good news of forgiveness. That's what I really wanted to do. And in this series of good news, we've already looked at a couple things. Cliff has already talked about lost and found. I loved how he said, Jesus doesn't care how you got lost. He just wants you to be found. I love that. And then he said last week, and I loved the message last week, broken pieces into masterpieces. He said, Jesus can take our broken pieces and from them create masterpieces. And today, I think I want to talk about you are never so fallen that you can't be forgiven. You are never so fallen, messed up and gone, that you can't be forgiven by our God and Savior. That's what I hope to build upon. And in fact, as I build on these, we need to remember that there is no lost and found, all right, without forgiveness. There is no broken pieces into masterpieces without forgiveness. So our theme for today is good news, you are forgiven. And that may sound very simplistic and straightforward, but I think that we forget at times how forgiven we are and what that brings with it, all right? And as we look through this today, we're going to look at a letter written to a man named Philemon. And I want to look through that letter, just what Christ's forgiveness establishes for us if we accept his forgiveness, repent and confess, and live in that forgiveness. I have come to discover in my own life that as I practice forgiveness for others, I oftentimes don't forgive myself very well. I oftentimes keep myself under that thumb or those vain regrets or those you should have, could have, would have, or you're not quite there yet, or man, Scott, you said you weren't gonna do this or you're gonna do this better and here you are again. I don't quite embrace the forgiveness and what that forgiveness brings from God and I forget about the good news and live in the bad news of I'm just not good enough. 
And I don't know if you're sitting here today and you struggle with that at all. Maybe you're one of those people I envy. You're, you're eternally confident, all right? And you're just always good on the go. I struggle at times. And so what I want to do today is I want our focus to be not so much learning about what is forgiveness or how to forgive or why we should forgive. And while these are critical, we're going to dig into them a little bit, and I want to do a series on that. I want to celebrate and remind us again of this good news, that we are forgiven and highlight exactly what does that mean for us. And so we're going to use a phrase today over and over again, and it's because of his forgiveness, all right, you are. Because of his forgiveness, you are, we are, I am. And I want to fill that in with some key words that hopefully we can walk out of here today and remember the power of forgiveness. Let's pray quickly. Lord, I pray as I always do that you would move me out of the way. I pray that you'd take my notes here, you'd realign them to what you want to say and your word and your message would come out. Lord, please give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen and feet that want to put into action what we learned today. In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine when I read the scriptures, stories behind what I'm reading. So I imagine that it's a rainy night. I imagine that Philemon is sitting somewhere in his home, maybe at a large table or desk, sorting through his notes and paperwork of the day, because he is a wealthy man. He runs a large household. He lives in the area of Colossa. The letter Colossians is to that area. He's a leader in the church. He's a friend of Paul. He's highly regarded. He has many responsibility. He probably sits at the city gates with the city elders and rules there as well. And as he's shuffling through his papers and he's looking through the deeds of the day, planning for the next day, maybe just catching a quiet moment as the house settles down for the night to himself to gather his thoughts. It's dark, it's rainy, and the last thing he expects is a knock at the door. He grabs his candle, he walks over to the door, and he opens the door And more surprising than a knock in the night is the face on the other side of the door. And as he sees that face in a moment of time, he goes back several months, maybe a year or so, to recall a young slave that he had no use for anymore that ran away. We don't know exactly what caused the slave to leave. Maybe he stole some things. Maybe he was seeking freedom. Maybe he was done with it all, and he ran. And Philemon had every right to chase and find the slave and bring them back according to the law of the day, yet there is this tension as a Christian godly man, where does slavery fall in my life now? And the slave had left and disappeared from his life, and Philemon probably thought he'd never hear from him, see from him again, and yet there he stands. And I can't imagine what emotions came up for Philemon when the slave Onesimus spoke and said, Philemon, I am here to seek forgiveness and bring you this letter. Philemon takes the letter, pauses for a moment. Do I invite him in? Do I read the letter on my own? I imagine they enter and 
Onesimus sits down by the door and Philemon goes back to his table to open the letter and we get the privilege of looking over his shoulder to read this letter. In this awkward moment, filled with tension, confusion, wondering. And we're gonna read a letter here that to me is so theologically deep on forgiveness that we could go through it several times. But let's look at this letter that was written to Philemon. Start in verse one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, probably his wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always love how Paul starts with that grace and peace and reminds his listeners and reminding Philemon now, this is coming from a place of grace and peace, Philemon, and it's flowing from God and Jesus Christ. This isn't just of my doing Paul as a leader of you. This is coming from God our Father who wants grace and peace for you, Philemon. We continue to read. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all the holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. The first thing that Paul establishes here that we're going to dig into is because of his forgiveness, you are valued. Because of his forgiveness, you are valued. Now, you may read this intro paragraph and think, well, Paul's really laying it on thick here. He's buttering this guy up for some, you know, something he has to do. He's trying to flatter him. You know, flattery wins a thousand words. No, I do not think Paul is flattering here. What Paul is doing here is he's reminding Philemon, you are valued. You, and we're going to find out later that you too, Philemon, were once lost. You are a non-believer, all right? You are a pagan, and you ushered God into your life. And when you ushered God into your life, you realize the value you now bring to God. And look what you've done with that value, Philemon. You have a church meeting in your home. You refresh the hearts of the saints. You care for them. You are a brother to me. In fact, Philemon, when I think of you and how valued you are, it brings me joy and encouragement. And let me tell you one thing that happens in our lives. We forget how valued you are to God. We forget how valuable we are to God. We forget that he finds joy and encouragement in us when we live for him and work for him and do good things for him. Because of his forgiveness, there's value in us. And I think that Philemon knew that, and I think we all here know that, but we don't live it and feel it in our hearts every day. Because we get tired, we get fatigued, we get heavy laden with all the things we're doing around us, and we get frustrated that people don't live the way we think they should or perform the way that we want them to or get done the things we ask them to. And maybe we begin to lose a little bit of the value of them because they don't meet the expectations. We've either A, set on ourselves that we push on to everybody else or they're disappointing us because they're not living up to the standard we hold them to. 
But the reminder Paul is saying here is, Philemon, you are valued. And I think Philemon's getting it. I think maybe he gives a sideward glance to Onesimus going, where's this going? Because of his forgiveness, you are valued. I want you to hear that today. You are valued. God considers you important. Enough to die on the cross and raise again for your sins. Let's read on a little more. Therefore, verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Okay, hold on a second. At this point, you probably think he is trying to manipulate. All right? I could order you to do this as your church leader, but I'm not going to. It reminds me of a story. We do a lot of apologies at school as a principal. Kids are always coming into my office and working out problems, and we have this thing we call the four-part apology. And it's pretty simple. In fact, it's a good adult thing to do. It really just starts with the kids say, I'm sorry for, and they recognize what they did wrong. All right? Then they say, it was wrong because, and they talk about how it made the person feel or hurt them. Then it says, next time I'll do this, and the last part is, will you forgive me? It's a simple little thing we go through. And I'm working through this with some first graders. Remind me, remember, first graders. And as I'm doing this, one of the little boys that was extremely mean and hurtful to some students, he goes, Mr. H, Mr. H, I know what you're doing. I go, what am I, what am I doing? He's like, you're just trying to fool me into saying I'm sorry for something, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not really sorry in my heart. <laughs> I like wrote that down. I go, message number three. <laughs> and he goes on, he goes, my mom and dad think they can try to get me to apologize all the time too. In fact, they try to give me things, but I'm not sorry. I'm like, wow, okay. So I think Paul is smart enough to know that Philemon is smart enough that if a first grader can see through what we're trying to do, Paul's not trying to do that here. I think Paul's reminding us what we all know, that when Jesus said, forgive others as I have forgiven you. Whatever I have done for the least of these, you do the same. Is that whatever Jesus has done for us, we need to reciprocate that to others. And that's what Paul is saying here. I prefer to appeal you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul an old man and now also prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Pause. My son Onesimus. I guarantee you those words hit hard. What do you, you're, this guy that ran away, stole things from me. It, you're calling him a son, Paul? You've only used that word a handful of times for people like Timothy. Myself. And now Onesimus? My son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome on trial here. That's where Paul is when he writes this. In chains, a prisoner waiting trial in Rome. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. Our second thing here. Because of his forgiveness, you are useful. Let's shift now the picture from Philemon to Onesimus sitting by the front door wondering what the fate of his life is going to be. Because trust me, he was a runaway slave and when you ran away, you did not go back and say, oops, I'm sorry. There was death that could be there. There was not a hope. And I'm wondering, Onesimus now sitting there, I don't know if he'd read this letter, but wondering what it says, thinking, I'm useless now. There's nothing I have to offer. I'm done. I met Paul he made me believe in myself again. He taught me I was valued. He made me feel useful. And now I'm back here where 
I'm a slave again. I'm useless. You know the irony of this whole thing? You know what Onesimus' name means? Onesimus means useful. And yet because of what he had done, the mistakes he had made, or perhaps what he had gone to Paul to look for, some people believe that Onesimus left to find justice from Paul to beseech Philemon to elevate him out of slavery. Whatever the reason was, Philemon had found Onesimus at this point in his life to be useless. I'm done with you. I don't care where you are now. I don't care what's happening. If I see you again, I'll tell you to leave. You get nothing from me. You're useless. And Paul is saying, were we not all useless at one point, Philemon? Were we all not without Christ at one point? And yet he looked down and Jesus had a plan. He died on the cross. He forgave our sins. He rose again. And he sees us as useful. You know how I know he sees us for useful? He gives us the Holy Spirit to live through him and for him because we are useful to Christ. And oftentimes we forget that because we keep ourselves chained to our own guilt, our own shame, our own past. And God is all about removing the past and putting us in the present and saying, you are useful. Philemon, just as you are useful to me and what you're doing there, Onesimus has become useful to me and to Christ. You need to extend to him the understanding that he is useful. Help him believe he is useful because I have seen it. Now I want you to see it. Who in your life have you written off as useless? Done. No coming back. And yet perhaps in God's eyes and heart, he's saying, no, they're still useful. Maybe in your own life, you're going, you don't get it, Scott. You don't understand what I've done. You do not understand the hurt, the harm, the trauma I've caused others, the mistrust. I am no longer useful. I'm telling you, if I thought any church was going to be unwise enough to let me ever preach in the podium again, (laughs) and here I am. I don't know how useful my sermons are. <laughs> They're probably more useful for me. But there was a point in my life I felt that I was useless. And for some reason, I still fall back into that from time to time. And Paul is saying, no, you are useful because you are forgiven. And because you are forgiven and because you're in Christ, you are useful. Let's continue moving forward. Verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart. I mean, this has just got to be killing Philemon here. All right, I get it, Paul. You really like this young guy. Back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is a big theological thing here. How can someone that was useless and wrong replace me that hasn't done something wrong? Because in God's eyes, we are all equal. It's all equality in God's eyes. He doesn't see those who have sinned less and those who have sinned more. He doesn't see the grievances of sins as a graph that we would write out. He sees sin, he sees people, he sees we can all be used by him however he wants us to be. While he would take your place with me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not be forced, but would be voluntary, much like my little first grade friend. He didn't want to manipulate this. In fact, Paul understands this principle, that forgiveness cannot be forced, cannot be manipulated. Forgiveness must always come from a heart, and it's a personal choice. And if you're not to a point to forgive, then work. Work on that. 
But you can't force it, you can't manipulate it. It has to be authentic. The next point, because of his forgiveness, you are worthy. What are you saying here in this verse is Onesimus, who is my very heart, all right? My very heart. Do you believe that you are worthy in God's eyes? Not just valued, all right? Not just useful, but do you believe that you are worthy? Worthy, when I looked it up, it means this, having great merit, character, or value. Commendable excellence, deserving of honor. Man, I do not feel like that in God's eyes at times. I do not feel worthy at times. And once again, the irony of all this is being written by a man who's in chains on trial for his life, talking about feeling worthy to a runaway slave and a rich church leader, you are worthy. Not because of what you do, but because of his forgiveness. Because of his forgiveness, we are worthy. Because of what Jesus did. And the whole theme that Paul is building here towards, I hope you see it, is Philemon, what I'm going to ask you to do, what I'm asking you to do, and it's coming here soon, is not because of who you are as a man, Philemon. It's not because of who I am as a leader, Paul. It's because of who Jesus is. And because of what he did. It's because of his forgiveness. That I find Onesimus worthy. That I see you, Philemon, worthy. That God saw me, Paul, a murderer of Christians, worthy to be a missionary to the Gentiles. He sees you as worthy. Now, you may be able to say that, oh, God sees me as worthy, but to believe it and live it, that's a whole different story, isn't it? That is so difficult at times, especially when we mess up. Let's keep reading here. Verse Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. I think the weightiness is now hidden Philemon here. Wait, forever? I thought this was just going to be a big, I'm sorry, you're sorry, we go our ways. Forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Now we could spend some time digging into that. Take that right there. We were once slaves to sin, but now you're heirs in Christ. Philemon, do you believe that? Then why aren't you practicing that? He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you. Don't go there. You can't tell me how important somebody is to me. You can't say somebody is dear to me. But see, Philemon is starting to get the idea, and you're getting it too, that Paul is transferring the way Jesus views us through his eyes to Philemon. Jesus sees us this way, Philemon. I am seeing someone, I'm giving you an earthly example, how I have seen someone become valued, useful, worthy to me. And if I can do that because that's what God does, we are all capable of it. But we get too stubborn and stuck in our own ways and too determined about how we put somebody in a box and they're never getting out of it. Both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. This is powerful, folks. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. That's salvation right there. It goes on. Look at this. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Paul said, I am writing this. This is my own words. I, 
will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me yourself. There's a verse that Paul says in Philippians, says, I am not my own. I am not my own. I am now an heir and a child in God, and I must transfer whatever God shows to us. We're the earthly representation to transfer that to others. How can a world know forgiveness? How can a world know they're valued, they're useful, they're worthy, if we don't transfer the way God sees us onto the way we see them and treat them? It doesn't work. You want to know why people don't go to church and don't want to become Christians? They don't see us transferring that in a really true, authentic manner. We judge, we critique, we criticize, we argue, we bicker. That's what that letter from Jesse, that um, Allison read, resonated with me so much. We can't get it right. Because none of us are perfect. But because of his forgiveness... We are valued, we are useful, we are worthy, and we're getting to our last one. He says this, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Because of his forgiveness, you are free. That is what he's telling Philemon here. The same way that you were indebted to Christ with your sins and Jesus died and you are no longer in debt to Jesus, I am telling you, you need to free Onesimus. He is no longer indebted to you. And if you feel he owes you something, you bring it to me, I'll take it. When we stand before Christ, when I stand before heaven, and if we're ever asked, why do you belong here? The moment I begin to open my mouth and try to defend myself, Jesus is gonna step right in front of me and say, I got it. I got him. Put it on me. Whatever he's done, whatever he owes, whatever Scott needs, I got it. That is forgiveness. And that's what we're trying to learn is how do we do that? The true theme of Philemon that I want you to walk away with is this is we are free because Christ has forgiven us. We are valued, we are worthy, we are useful, we are free because Christ has forgiven us. Understand the irony. Onesimus ran away. He's on the run as a slave trying never to get caught again, or he's on the run as a slave trying to find someone that can go on his behalf, Paul. And yet, he's run away. He's like, free, I'm no longer a slave, yet not feeling free. It's always going to catch up to me. And then he encounters Paul, who's standing out in the streets preaching in chains to people about his freedom. While he's in chains. And I'm sure Anissim is like, what is going on? How can you say you're free? You're in jail. You're going to die. You're on trial. And Paul brings him in and begins to teach him and begins to show him and begins to transfer to him everything that God gave Paul. You're valued. You're useful. You're worthy. And Paul, you're free. No matter how many chains they put on you, Paul, you're free. No matter if they try to persecute you, you're free because you're free in Christ. Man, we covered this back in Galatians, didn't we? Our freedom is for the reason we're living. And now Onesimus is coming to Philemon asking and beseeching, can I be free? Can I be forgiven? Onesimus was rightly astounded. How could a man claim freedom that was in chains? 
Because not, Paul knew our freedom is not about our position in life, but rather our position in Christ. And so he's coming to Philemon and saying, Philemon, our freedom flows from Jesus paying the price for all our sins on the cross. Setting us free from an eternal debt. I'm asking you to transfer the same thing. Transfer that credit that's been given to you to my brother. See, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that you were the prisoner all along. There's a book written years and years ago um, called The Shack. Um, turned into a movie. Movie's cheesy in my opinion, but the book was great. Um, I just never think movies turn out as good as books, but that, except for Harry Potter. Um, but I digress. Um, see, there's a secret life in the life of Scott. Alice is like, I didn't know that about Scott. That's going to come up in the podcast, I'm sure. To forgive is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. There's a saying in the book of the shack, there's a quote in the shack that God is saying to the, to the man in the book. He says, to live in unforgiveness, all right, is to drink poison and hope it kills your enemy. To live in unforgiveness is to drink poison and hope it kills your enemy. I'm not going to delve into how and why. I just want to do this. I want to proclaim that because of forgiveness, you are valued, you are useful, you are worthy, you are free. It means that I don't, all right, need to live under a burden of chains anymore that I put myself in. It means I am, and if you're doing this and if you're putting yourself in these chains and you're not being able to live like you're free, is it because, ask yourselves, am I blind to my own sin? Do I not believe I'm worthy or valued? Is it because I believe that what I've done is greater than what God has done? Is it because I'm living in these chains and accept my position and that's my penance for life? Whatever it is, that's not what God intended. Now you may see, but Scott, doesn't repentance come before forgiveness? Shouldn't we have to repent first and then get forgiveness? No, forgiveness is already there. When Christ died on the cross, he ushered in forgiveness. Repentance leads to reconciliation and restoration. Confession leads to acknowledgement, which builds that relationship with God. But forgiveness is already there. It's like the teacher that was convincing, trying to talk to the class, a bunch of like third graders about the chicken or the egg. Which came first? The chicken or the egg? And this little kid raised his hand and she goes, well, the chicken came first. We all know that because I learned in Sunday school that God made all the animals and so chickens came first. And the teacher's like, well, you don't know that. I believe the egg came first and that it cracked and evolved and a chicken was in water and it crawled out of the water, grew feathers and became a chicken. And the girl goes, well, that's just silly. That never happened. And the teacher goes, well, you weren't there. How do you know? And the girl kind of scratched her head and she goes, well, the chicken was there and he knows. <laughs> the point is this, all right? Do you know that you're forgiven? It's, I'm going to go back to the beginning of my verse right here. I got two verses to share with you. You are forgiven and have been, have been since the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. By the way, the, the letter to the Colossians was delivered at the same time as the letter to Philemon because Onesimus delivered both letters. And here's what Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. 
once and for all, done. Paul also says forgiveness is once and for all. He says in Hebrews 7.27, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his, for his own sins. And then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed their sins once and for all when he offered himself. My friends, I want you to accept this. Jesus became the prisoner in chains to set us free from our chains. He is the bondage breaker for all humanity so that we can embrace his freedom. The good news is we are forgiven. And because we are forgiven, we are valued, we are useful, we are worthy, and we are free. Let's make sure we don't selfishly hold on to that for ourselves only. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time just to look at your word. I thank you for this letter to Philemon, Lord, and how it helps us think about what we can do with forgiveness of ourselves. God, I pray for people in here that may be sitting here today going, God, I, I, I get this whole forgiveness thing, but I just don't feel I can get past what I did. What's too wrong? Lord, would you work on their heart and show them your eternal love and grace and mercy that you have never fallen so far you can't be forgiven. God, I pray that we would practice forgiveness towards others. I pray that we would look at others the way that you look at them and that we'd see others that when they're forgiven in Christ and forgiven by us, they are valued, they are useful, they are worthy, and we can grant them freedom like you've given us. May we learn to live free in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.